Friends, we are indeed in Acts chapter 11, and I'm always aware at this part of the service, the movement of the service, where when the music begins to fade and then the team starts to clean up their stuff and leave, and then even the interns on the front row just get up and find their families, and I feel very alone on that row stepping up here. But what we're here is not the lone man in the pulpit, but we have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit in me who's going to choose some things to say, and we have the Holy Spirit in you who's going to receive those same things that are true from God's Word, and that's what we're here for this morning. Whatever loneliness I feel is not present in this room because the Spirit is speaking through His Word to this body. That's why we gather. Praise God. So I'm going to read for us from Acts chapter 11. I preached on this last week, but something struck me about this passage for Pentecost Sunday. So let me read to you from God's word. And Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Spirit, you eternally proceed from Father and Son to dwell inside your church body to make us holy, to seal us, to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus said, to give us words and courage and comfort and joy to speak and to bear. And I pray that you would do that work now in our church as we gather in your name. Teach us, instruct us, guide us, and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, today is Pentecost Sunday, and that means that what was promised long ago in the Old Testament, as we heard in our scripture reading, and was assured by Jesus while he was here, God has now delivered, and that is the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the church and will dwell with us until God comes for us. That is a New Testament, New Covenant promise that every single born-again Christian experiences that an Old Testament saint couldn't have believed his ears if you would have told him long ago. Before Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelt in God's tabernacle and then his temple. He only on certain occasions would move out and dwell within a prophet or someone that God had raised up to do something for him. But now in Christ, that same spirit lives inside of us and me as an individual saint, us as a local church, us as the global church, we are now that tabernacle and God has made his holy of holies within us. Hallelujah. That's incredible. Well, all of that is wonderful, well, and good. But even as we know that theology, we get to this little phrase describing Barnabas that I've just been chewing on all Pentecost week. Because our verse says that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to know what that means. Like if we just said that every single Christian has the Spirit, why are we going out of our way to waste words and say that Barnabas is full of the Holy Spirit? Why didn't our passage just say that Barnabas was a Christian, 
Because we know what a Christian is. A Christian is a born-again person with the Holy Spirit. Why even go out of your way to say that? Why not just say, hey, let me introduce you to Barnabas. He's a Christian, right? He has the Holy Spirit. Great. Unless there's something else here, and Luke, the writer of Acts, is insinuating that there's a bunch of believers walking around with the glass half empty of the Holy Spirit, and Barnabas in this passage actually has something that the rest of us don't. No, sir, he is filled up with the Holy Spirit. And if that's the case, I'm like a kid getting served dessert. Like, I'm happy with my piece of chocolate cake, but if Barnabas's is bigger, how do I get that too? Like, I want what he has. So the simple question when we read a phrase about the fullness of the Spirit is, is that something extra? Is being full of the Holy Spirit something on top of being a Christian with the Holy Spirit? And I will make the case, and we can argue in the parking lot, that being full of the Holy Spirit is a special designation for certain believers at certain times. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Only certain believers in certain circumstances are in this Acts 11 sense full of the Holy Spirit. So let me give us just two scriptures to defend what I'm saying. And the first one is in Acts, Acts chapter 6, if you want to flip back there in your Bibles. We know that in Acts 6, there's this crisis point. We already preached on this, and that is you've got the Hebrew and the Hellenist widows that are getting the daily food distribution, and one is complaining that somebody else is getting more than they are, and it's this crisis point, and the apostles have to solve this issue, and they realize, man, we can't both do our ministry of prayer and word and this ministry of mercy, and so they gather the entire church together and say, we're going to appoint some proto-deacons. They don't call them deacons, but they sure sound like deacons. And so they say in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, church, this is what I want you to look for when you choose these folks. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, on the one hand, this should describe every single believer. Like what believer shouldn't have wisdom and a good reputation and the Holy Spirit? This should in some way describe every single believer. But if that were the case, the apostles could have simply said, church, I want you to choose seven Christians, right? Just anybody. In fact, the first seven Christians that walk in the door, just grab them. They'll be fine. They'll do anybody can serve in this role. You grab seven random Christians and we'll put them there. But you and I know intuitively the only reason the apostles wasted their breath to say look for these kind of people is because this is a special designation and when they're saying we want you to find people that are full of the Holy Spirit, they must mean something different than we want you to find a believer that has the Holy Spirit because we're talking about what elevates and separates these individuals to serve in this critical work. That must be special. Being full of the Holy Spirit must be special. But the second defense, that comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, a very famous passage about this fullness when Paul tells the church, do not get drunk with wine, but 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that passage is important for three reasons. Number one, it says what we've been saying, that being filled with the Holy Spirit must mean something because Paul is writing to a church that are already believers, that already have the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, church, now that you have the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It must mean something. Number two, being filled with the Spirit must not be for the spiritually elites because he's writing a letter to the entire local church and he's saying, church, believers, be filled with the Spirit. Kids, parents, grandparents, elders, lay people, deacons, be full of the Holy Spirit. This is for everybody. And number three, When he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's in the present tense verb, meaning keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you might say, yeah, Paul, I've experienced that. I felt that before. I know what it's like to be full of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, that's all well and good. Now, today, be being filled with the Holy Spirit as you go from here. That's a a present tense active happening in our lives. So full of the Holy Spirit is not synonymous with a Christian. Every Christian has the Spirit, but not all Christians are being filled with the Spirit right now. There's a pastor who put this brilliantly when he said, if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit. The question is, does the Spirit have you? If you're a Christian, you have him. You have access to him. He's in you. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? The Holy Spirit is inside of me. Am I living out my life inside of him? The Holy Spirit walks with me. Am I walking alongside of him? The Holy Spirit daily hourly, minute by minute, shows me the way of abundant life in Jesus. Do I walk in step with the Spirit? I may have the Spirit, but does the Spirit have me? To use a silly illustration that came to me is the Soda City Market. When you go to the Soda City Market, I almost think there are more dogs than kids there. And you could bring an infant child with you and nobody cares. But if you bring a puppy, you are the most popular person there. I mean, there's just dogs and that connects you with people. Every dog at Soda City, I believe, has an owner. But not every owner has control of their dog. (laughs) Right? So there are some happy dogs that are in step with their master wagging their tails and pleased to be there. And then there are some dogs that are straight up knocking my kettle corn out of my hands and I want to scream. Every dog has an owner, not every owner has a dog. I don't mean to liken us as dogs, but that's the question. We got the Spirit. Nobody's asking about that. We're not talking about the assurance of your salvation. We're not talking about being sealed with the Spirit. We're not arguing with Pentecost and what happened when the Spirit came and dwells. We are saying today, believer, are you actively being filled with the Spirit? Does He have you? Because to be filled means to be animated by the Spirit. It's a season of being preoccupied, devoted to 
passionate about the Lord, is that the season I'm in right now? That's what we mean. So if that's what it means to be full of the Spirit, like Barnabas was, what does that look like? And then how do we get access to it? How would I know that someone's full of the Spirit? And then how might I also be full of the Holy Spirit? So let's ask those two questions. What does being full of the Holy Spirit look like? Now, it's interesting. I did a little survey in Acts, and there's a bunch of people and groups that are described the same way Barnabas is, as being full of the Holy Spirit. That was the 120 gathered for prayer at Pentecost. That's Peter. That's a church-wide prayer meeting. That's those proto-deacons. It's Stephen, Paul, Barnabas, and then later it's a group of Christians. So there's a bunch of people. It's not just apostles. It's not just deacons that are described as being full of the Holy Spirit. Why does Luke say that? What is he seeing in those people that makes him say, wow, this person was full of the Spirit? Like, I'm here today, this whole church, we all have the Holy Spirit, anybody who's born again, but that sister over there, she is full of the Holy Spirit today. What do I mean when I say that? What am I pointing out? Well, I did a little survey in Acts, and I would say there's at least four characteristics of a person who is full of the Holy Spirit. If we only had this book to go on, I would say there are four things that stand out about this person that I would say, wow, that person is full of the Spirit. Number one, and I wouldn't have guessed this if I hadn't done this survey study far and away, the major sign in Acts of a person filled up animated by the Spirit, is that that saint is speaking truth in love. The Spirit's ministry is a speaking ministry. Those who are full of the Spirit are speaking in His name. And so in the book of Acts, they tell us about David who prophesied in the Spirit and Stephen who is speaking in the Spirit. And then you meet Philip and Peter and the Spirit is telling them where to go and what to say. And Acts even says that Jesus, God incarnate, in Acts chapter 1 verse 2, is said to have given his commands in the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus is doing this, full of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said the Spirit was going to do. He's going to live inside of us and bring to us remembrance of what Jesus has said so that we can say it to other people when we need to. And Acts agrees that is the preeminent sign of the fullness of the Spirit. So that gives us a really simple test. If I want to know if a person is full of the Spirit in this moment, and that is this, does that Christian sound like Jesus. That's my test. If they're full of the Holy Spirit, they do. And if they're not full of the Spirit, they don't. And so the nitpicking critic or the self-absorbed or the narcissist or the so-called devil's advocate, they don't sound like Jesus and they're a Christian and they're saved, and they have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have them. They don't sound like Jesus. But Spirit-filled lips sound like the book of Proverbs. You ever read the good things in Proverbs that can come out of a believer's mouth? Choice silver, feeding many, 
bringing wisdom, preserving life, bringing healing. That sounds like Jesus, which means the spirit is in possession of this person's heart and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the spirit has our hearts, that means he has our mouths too. And what we say sounds like Jesus and the spirit is in possession of us. That person is full of the Holy Spirit. So number one, it's a speaking ministry. Number two, being full of the Holy Spirit has to mean power. Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So little power is little spirit filling and much kingdom power is much spirit filling. The kingdom of God, it doesn't exist in talk. It exists in power. God says to Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Spiritless talk and deeds are like chaff that the wind blows away. I can do whatever I want outside the spirit. I can see him leading me this way and I can walk this way. And the things I say and the deeds I do are powerless chaff that will burn away and not last for eternity. But spirit-filled words and actions in God's hands can break what needs to be broken and to plant what needs to grow. And if we are doing and speaking in the fullness of the Spirit, then God takes through His Spirit, His words, His deeds, they proceed through us. And if it is done in Jesus' name, what goes out from us cannot return void because it doesn't return to God void. That is His eternal work through us. To be full of the Spirit is to have power. Number three, to be full of the Spirit is to have comfort. That might be a surprising one, a comfort, comforting spirit. Acts chapter nine, verse 31 says, the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I was flipping through A.W. Tozer's sermons that are collected in this little book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says this, Remember, fear is of the flesh and panic is of the devil. Now, I assume he gets that from places like 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, which means... If we have this spirit within us of fear or anxiety or depression or we are distressed, it is not from God. God does not deal in those dark means. That is not him speaking to us. In those moments when I hear those voices and I feel that pressing in against me, I know that that's not how God's spirit deals and speaks with me. And in that moment, I can assign those words not to God's spirit, but to my spirit, my spirit of fear and timidity. And I can say those words are not from God. Now that doesn't mean in the moment, in my anxious racing thoughts, I can snap my finger and they're gone. I wish I could. I wish I could do that for me and I wish I could do that for you because those thoughts are dark and they press upon us. But I know in that moment 
that since I know it's not God speaking to me in that way, I put those thoughts on my spirit and I go in search of this spirit and I find God's spirit of comfort. That means I can be an anxious, depressed, hurting, distressed person. But if I am laying hands on the spirits and his words in that moment, I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, even in absolute and utter weakness. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, his ministry of comfort. The last one, number four, that I love that is here in our passage is that to be full of the Holy Spirit is to be joyful. Our verse says that when Barnabas shows up in Antioch, he sees God's grace. In verse 23, he was glad. The Holy Spirit, being full of the Spirit, had him looking for the good things that God was doing. He was able to spot those straight away. Later, we're going to read about believers in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, that says that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's synonymous. I have the Holy Spirit, and so I also have joy. Galatians lists joy second only to love as the fruit of the Spirit, because where the Spirit is, there is joy. I love that Ephesians passage that we read earlier when Paul is saying to the church, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul goes on to say that a sober, spirit-filled person sure sounds drunk to a watching world because I haven't had a drop of liquor and I'm full of the Spirit and I am going around singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God in everything. And I sound slap happy and without any inhibitions. And no wonder when people arrived at Pentecost, they said, Peter, did you start drinking after breakfast? And it wasn't just the tongues, it was the joy they saw in him. And Peter can say, this is the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. You show me a Christian in our world today who has just given themselves over to our prevailing culture of pessimism, complaints, groaning, joyless, moping, a woe is me and my lot in life. And I will show you a Christian who has the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not yet have that person because they are not in step with the fruit that he brings. But you show me somebody today, in our culture today, in our loss today, who can stare that loss dead in the face and have moments of a spring in their step and joy and laughter and I will show you someone who is possessed and animated by the Holy Spirit. Because where the Spirit is, there will be joy. And I tell you, believer, that of all the fruits that the Spirit brings, that duo, love and joy, is so absolutely countercultural, it will surprise our neighbors today. 
Anybody can lean over the back fence and grumble about what's wrong with America, what's wrong with politics, what's wrong with my job, what's wrong with our COVID decisions. But you start to see somebody who's dancing up and down in the neighborhood, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God in everything. And you are going to spark the curiosity of everybody around you, including believers in your life who have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have them. They're going to say, what are you getting served? that I'm not getting is the Spirit. That will surprise us. Well, we've covered a ton of ground, right? We said, is there something special about being full of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. We're saying that even though we all have the Spirit, when we are controlled and animated by Him in this moment, that means we're full of the Spirit. And then we said, what does it look like? And we said, among other things, Acts says that we're going to be speaking truth in love. There's going to be power. There's going to be comfort. And so we close with a very simple question. How do I get that too? I want what Barnabas has. I want access to this. How do I get it? And this is great because we just heard Simon the magician embarrass himself in Acts chapter 8 when he says, can I buy it? Can I pay money for it? And that's the easy way. And God won't give it to us through cold, hard cash. But the answer should not surprise a Christian accustomed to gaining untold riches without cost. Because we have access to this continual filling of the Holy Spirit by faith. Believing and receiving by faith. I see that direct connection between those two in two places. Stephen, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, they chose Stephen, who was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith, he was full of the Spirit. Our passage, 1124, Barnabas was a good man, he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Full of the Spirit, full of faith. The fullness of the Spirit is received by faith. God is eager to do this. This is what glorifies God and honors him. And if we will humble ourselves before him and open our hands in faith to ask God, will you do this for me? Will you fill me in such a way that I walk in step with your spirit, that I'm animated by him, that I bear the good fruit of the spirit? God is eager to answer that request in faith. Open your hands, believer, and receive his fullness today. That's what we're going to do right now. We are actually going to turn to God and ask in faith for this fullness. I'm going to get on my knees for this one. You can do that at your seats or you can simply bow your head. But let's ask God that he will fill us. Let's do that now. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a punchy confession of sin today and what a stark reminder of all the things I have pursued to bring a filling this week that aren't of you. Things that distract, things that actually make me miserable, things that never satisfy, things that have me always wanting more. I confess that to you. I throw off those things and I pray in this moment that instead of that, you will fill me and my friends gathered here afresh with your spirit. Be filling us with your spirit that we might be animated by him, 
possessed by him, the things that he says we say, the things that he leads in we follow eagerly with joy and with comfort and with power. I pray you would do that in our church body. I pray you would shake this place and this city with a spirit filling of your church. We ask in faith in Jesus' name, amen.